This is the podcast of Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. In our lives, as we live them, you don't always get what you see. There are times where things appear a certain way, but that's not really how they are. There is a museum, it's called the Wax Museum, and they take different stars and different high-profile people and they will recreate them in a pose that represents them, represents their life. And when you go to the Wax Museum, if you didn't know better, you would think that they were real life Uh, replicas or real-life people short of breathing. They are so well done. But there is no breath of life in that recreation. It is simply the exterior. Everything within that reproduction is simply wax. In the olden days, prior to having a lot of the things that we have now to fix stuff, When they would have a vessel that was broken, for them to make it look very nice, they would take the crack and they would fill it with wax. The wax would cover over anything that would um, make it look like it was cracked. And then you could cover that with paint or whatever you put on top of that. And you wouldn't know the difference between a pot that was complete and a pot that was cracked. To look at both side by side, you would never be able to tell. Our word for the word sincere is in two parts, sin being without, and then seer, which actually means wax, the root word. So to be sincere literally means to be without wax. What that means is, is that there is nothing that is invisible inside that is um, going to compromise that vessel or that person. The word integrity means for something to be complete or to be whole, integrous, that there is nothing that is missing. But when you have a a, a pot, for example, that has a crack in it and you have the wax on it and it looks good on the outside, there's a problem. Because that pot is not going to handle things the same way that a pot that is not cracked will. And it's not integrous. Now from the outside, when people look at us and we look at people, we see things that we can see with our eyes. We hear things that we hear with our ears. And on both of those accounts at times, we can appear ourselves, or we could listen to others and think that everything is going just fine. But there are times when wax has been applied and everything looks good, everything sounds good, but it's not good. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about the way God sees things, because when you get to know how God sees things, And then you can line up your life with a way that pleases the Lord 
and then we receive the blessings of the Lord. So I want to start by just sharing with you uh, from a verse from the book of John. And in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 21, it says these words, Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and reveal myself to each of them. So just, these are the words of Jesus here. And Jesus is making a statement. And he says in the beginning here, those who accept my commandments and obey them. Now, obedience is a big deal to God. And I feel in my spirit that it's so important that we as a church understand that. Because there is a general overview of Christianity that can focus on things other than obedience which are all true, but at the expense of dealing with a very critical component of what God expects of our lives. If God is going to reveal himself to us, one of his expectations is obedience. And we can't get around that. Now, I have the privilege of listening to Christian radio and um, switch between local channel and other channels and... Um, I'm blessed by many of the songs that are sung. But there are very few that focus on the issue of obedience. Yet there are so many who talk about the grace of God. And the grace of God is critical. Because without his grace, you and I would not be here today. It is foundational to the Christian message. But it is also foundational that we must set our hearts on obeying God. We cannot neglect obeying God simply because God has given us grace. And so the two have to go hand in hand. And unfortunately, in the Christian world that we live in today, there is a great tug of war between grace and obedience. And I share this with you because uh, I, have, I have personally heard from a well-known minister of the gospel who said these words. Preachers who preach the Ten Commandments from the pulpit do not understand the grace of God and are slowly killing their congregation because their congregation can never live up to the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to be honest with you. When I, and I, when I heard that, my spirit was grieved. Because from what I see in the word of God, God still expects us to obey him. He has never taken away the expectation of our obedience. The wonderful thing is, is that even when we have disobeyed, there's hope. But that doesn't mean that we take that disobedience lightly. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that. There is this balance between the both. But the balance is always is that both are true at the same time. Without grace, we wouldn't be saved. 
It's not of our own works, right? We don't come to church or we don't go give to the poor or do anything or even tithe or whatever. We don't do that to get our way into heaven. If we tried to do that for that purpose, it would take away from what Christ did on the cross. I hope we can all agree on that. But at the same time, the scripture tells us that we are saved to do good works. So we just have to remember the proper order. Yes, we've got to do all these things, but it's out of a gratitude for what we have already received from the grace of God. God, you forgave my sins. I can hardly believe that. That you would give your life in my place. I am so grateful for that. So whatever you ask me to do, God, I'll do it. True obedience comes from an attitude of gratitude. And when we have an attitude of thankfulness, when we obey, we can actually obey with joy. And not feel like we are simply doing something that is fulfilling a list of rules and regulations. Now, God had made, in, here in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, just a little bit of background, God had made Saul king over Israel. But God made Saul king over Israel. But Samuel had warned the people that they were jumping the gun. He said, guys, I want to warn you, if you have Saul as your king, you're going to have these problems. Uh, you're going to pay out all these taxes. You're going to have a lot of issues. And all their mind was set on at the moment was they wanted to be like the other nations. And we can get so sidetracked sometimes when we're going through some pain. Because we don't think about any of the long-term repercussions. We're like, I want the pain to end. Whatever it takes, I'm done with it. God, would you do this and would you do it now? Prophet Samuel, he said, guys, you don't understand what you're asking for. You're going to have a lot of trouble coming down the pike. It may not happen immediately, but it is coming. And they all said, that's okay. We'll take whatever's coming as long as we get the immediate benefits. So Samuel talked to God. God said, they've asked for it. Go ahead and give it to them. And God anointed, through Samuel, Saul to be the king of Israel. But God saw down the road. He understood what was going to happen. But see, we have to keep in mind that when our heart is set on something, it's so important to understand the mind of God. Because God will even give us the desires of our hearts when they're outside of his will, if we keep on pressing. And there's a bit of a danger to that. Because if we simply say, God, I don't care if this is wrong, I'm still going to move forward with it. God will allow us to make wrong decisions so that we learn a lesson. Just like the prodigal son. I'm always amazed that in that story that the father gave the inheritance before he even died. Who does that? If you have a will and someone came to you and you're still alive and they're like, 
Hey, the will says when you die, I get 50%. Could I have that now? Can you imagine? Okay, sure. But that's exactly what happened. Father was still alive, gave the inheritance, and it was all squandered. We may not fully understand it, but God allows us a lot of rope even to walk away from him. And so in verse 10, listen to these words. The Lord says to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard, that this, uh, heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Now, I just want to note that that should be our attitude when we see someone who is a servant of the Lord either in a falling situation or a broken situation. Samuel responded by crying out to the Lord all night. I mean, he was the one who prophesied that there would be trouble. If there was anybody who could have said, oh, it's about time. Glad these things are actually coming to pass that I said were going to happen. And just kind of washed his hands of the situation. But no, he cared for the people and he cared for the work of the Lord. And so when he heard that bad news, that God's heart was actually set against Saul, because of his disobedience, he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul, and someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he says to Samuel. I have carried out the Lord's command. Uh, Saul, but I hear noises in the background. Uh, there is a bunch of sheep that are bleeding, B-L-E-A-T-I-N-G, and goats and cattle that are lowing. Oh, it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, the goats, and the cattle, Saul admitted, but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. Notice that. We've destroyed everything else, just like we were told. We just kept the best stuff for the sacrifice. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. Well, what did he tell you, Samuel? And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, 
What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. God saw the heart of Saul. And when Saul was put to the test, he failed. God simply had a command for him to follow and he would not follow it. God could not trust Saul with instruction. And to God, that's a big deal. So much so that he said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and I'm going to give it to David, a man after my own heart. Why was David a man after God's heart? Because whatever God instructed him to do, he did it. And I want to tell you, no matter what your position is in life, no matter what your situation is in your household or in your community, you are more valuable to God than anything when you are walking in obedience to him. God oversees current titles and he looks at your heart. You could be a king in the spiritual realm in the making if you are walking in obedience to the Lord. Don't ever allow the natural hierarchy of things to discourage you because God doesn't look on the exterior, he looks on the interior. And there are many people who are honored and valued and esteemed in this world in which we live who the scripture tells us will completely be forgotten in the life to come. Because those who honor God, they will be remembered forever. But those who despise him, the scripture tells us, will be forgotten. And so it's so important that we keep our focus on what really matters. The world around us constantly says, well, you're valuable if you can perform this way. You are valuable if other people think you're really cool. Or maybe if you have a lot of money, people will become your friends and you're valuable because of that. My friends, none of that adds actual value to you. It's all involvement in a wax production. It's all exterior. It's all going to fade. And when it does, what is going to remain standing? What's going to remain standing is your relationship with God. And if you are faithful to obey him, God will move heaven and earth to defend you. God values obedience. If you've been crying out to the Lord lately that you want to get closer to him, that you want to experience more of his presence, you want to allow your life to be lined up with his priorities, then I have good news for you. God is going to guide you and he will give you those desires of your heart. But it's going to take steps of obedience. Faith 
and obedience go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. If you want to be a great man or woman of faith, but yet you are unwilling to obey, whatever may look like faith is a facade. But if you are willing to obey the voice of God, then you will be a man and a woman of great faith. Abraham, who is known as the father of the faithful, was tested by the Lord. And the scripture tells us in Genesis 22 that God tested Abraham's faith and obedience. Abraham was called by God and he responded, Yes, here I am. Verse 2 of Genesis chapter 22, he said, Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. And the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, took two of his servants, took his son, chopped the wood, set out for the place God told him to go, on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up. He saw the place in the distance, told his servant to stay there with the donkey. He said, the boy and I will travel a little bit farther. We will worship, then we will come right back. Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son. We have the fire and we have the wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And they both walked on together. And so they went up and soon Isaac found out that he was the sheep that was going to be offered. He tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on the top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your, your son, your only son. God was looking to see whether Abraham would follow instructions. For those of you who have ever had the responsibility of training someone for a new job, you know the importance of them learning or being able to follow instructions. If someone cannot follow instructions, you can't rely on them. You ask them one thing and it goes in one ear and out the other and they don't remember it. They don't put their heart on doing it. They could care less about the instruction. But God values us following his instructions. And when we value his instructions, then it will bring blessing to our lives. So much so, after this event, because Abraham obeyed God, listen to these words in verse 18. Sorry, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me 
and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. God gave Abraham an incredible blessing. And why did he receive it? All because Abraham obeyed God. Not because he was just a super person, but because he obeyed God. The wonderful thing about that is every single one of us in this room can qualify. We can walk in obedience to God, and therefore we can be men and women of great faith. And lo and behold, just as Abraham said, he said, we will go up and worship and we will come back. Why? Because he knew God had made a promise to him. That Isaac, God was going to bless Abraham through Isaac. And in the New Testament, we're told is that, God, that Abraham believed that God would even raise Isaac from the dead if necessary. So Abraham had no idea whether the knife was actually going to need to come down. His full intention was to follow through. He wasn't there at the altar going like, okay, God, I'm all done now. He was ready, and the angel had to say, stop. But our faith has to go through a testing process. Testing is not comfortable. In fact, in schools, there's different, different processes and different philosophies of teaching. In fact, some teaching tries to rule out quizzes and tests completely. They want the student just to enjoy learning. And so they make it all fun and games and do different things to try to get the information in. But no test because no stress. We want no stress. While that all may sound well and good, it doesn't fully fulfill the intended purpose. Because there is a healthy level of stress that is needed to help us remember what we need to remember. And there are things I know from firsthand experience I would not remember today if I had not had to get it in my head for a test. God tests us. Tests are necessary because tests prove what is really there. And God already knows what's really there. But sometimes we don't know what's really there. Sometimes we think we know more than we do. And sometimes we think we know less than we do. But the test will show what the real, the real deal is. That's why God tested Job. It's why God tested Abraham. 
and why God will test you. And for you to pass the test with flying colors, here's all you have to do. You have to have your heart set on obeying God. Whatever he asks you to do, you've got to be ready and willing to do it. Those who accept my commandments, Jesus said, and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. God blessed Abraham because he was obedient. And you will be blessed by God if you are obedient as well. Now, sometimes obedience is easier than others. Sometimes it's hard to obey. Sometimes it's not just a matter of choosing to do what is right. Sometimes when you choose to do what's right, pain follows. And that's where it's hard. And that's why God wants us to be well prepared in our spirit so that we don't make decisions based upon how it feels in our lives. I want to take you for a moment to Exodus chapter 16. In Exodus chapter 16, we have a situation where all of the people had become overwhelmed with the way things were going, even though they had been set free from Egypt. It had been a month and a half into their journey, and the whole co community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. Verse 3 of chapter 16 in Exodus, they said, If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. And every day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel and gave them the information that God had gave, given to them. Moses added, verse 8, The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning, for he has heard all your complaints against him. What have we done? Yes, your complaints are against the Lord and not against us. And so that evening, verse 13, vast numbers of quail flew in, covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. And when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. The word manna literally means, what is it? And Moses told them, it's the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Moses said to them, don't keep any of it till morning. 
but some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until the morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them. God had told them that every day they were supposed to take a certain portion. But on the sixth day, they were supposed to take double. Now, on all the regular days, the food would not last till the next day. But supernaturally, the very exact same food would last twice as long on the Sabbath day. God determines how long his provision will last. And it's so amazing. And what he was looking for was obedience. He wanted them not to store up for the next day. Why? Because he wanted them to trust him. And this is an important lesson for you and I. Now, there's a very positive value in saving finances as long as the motive for saving is something that God has initiated for us. But if we become hoarders and we save for the purposes that are not initiated by the Lord, then in essence, we are trusting in our bank account instead of God our provider. So it's very important in life that you always ask yourself the question, is this what God would want me to be doing? And I find a lot of tensions can happen in families, in work situations, in life situations that are often centered around either a lack of trusting God or by, uh, on, on a similar plane, a lack of obedience to the Lord. There is nothing that God cannot provide for us when we honor him. The most important question is not, do I have what I need? The most important question is, am I obeying God? Because God says, seek first the kingdom of God. And then comes the amazing promise, and you'll have everything you need. It doesn't go backwards. It doesn't say that if you have everything you need, then go ahead and give God thanks by honoring him and putting him first. And so sometimes we, our faith is tested because maybe we haven't been obeying God in a certain area. Maybe we've not been setting aside a 10% of our income and honoring God with it. And then we have challenges and we're like, God, now would you please help me? God expects obedience first. And then comes the blessing. Now, God's grace can sometimes keep us from things and even bless us in ways that we don't deserve. But God's way of handling things normally is that he waits for our obedience and then comes the blessing. So manna lasted one day and then it lasted for two days. But now look at this. God says to Moses that he is actually supposed to take some manna and put it in a jar and put it in a sacred place before the Lord to preserve it for all future generations. Something that was perishable in God's divine wisdom all of a sudden becomes imperishable and God chooses that the same manna in that jar that was put in the Ark of the Covenant would last forever. No maggots, no destruction, 
God determines when something will expire. The same stuff, different expiration date. The more you and I get a grasp that God's in control of everything, the more we will be leaning on him instead of our own schedules, our own paychecks, our own plans, and we'll just be simply, God, what do you want me to do? That is always the core to come back to. It is the best thing in organizing our time. It's the best thing in organizing our money. It's the best thing in organizing our relationships. For me personally, this is just personally, I find it a little difficult when I talk about balancing things. Because when you look at balancing things in the natural, when do you ever get to the perfect balance? And it always seems in the natural, like one way, too much this, too much that. And, you know, where do you ever feel the joy? Like, yeah, now I'm living a fully balanced life. For me, I find it hard to speak in terms of balance without interjecting the reality that true balance is simply being obedient to God. On one day, he might want you to do one thing. And on another day, he wants you to do something else. True balance is just being obedient. Because if you try to assess it too much with the, the, the mental capacity, you'll never reach balance. You know, if I were to ask, and I won't, for a show of hands, how many in, your, in this room today feel like you are living a fully balanced life? I wonder how many would be able to say, you know, definitely I'm totally balanced. The truth is, is that there's always this tension. So how do we resolve it? Moment by moment, listening to the Lord. He sees the future. He knows our present. He understands our past. And so he's the one who's going to guide us, sometimes through difficult places, sometimes through the valley of the shadow of death, sometimes shouting on the mountaintop. But whatever it is, he is our guide, and he directs us perfectly. I believe that God wants us to be obedient to him. With our obedience comes God's blessing. I want God to bless Christian Life Center. I want God to bless your family. And I want God to bless me. I want God to bless you individually. But I'm going to be very open and honest with you that according to the word of God, those blessings are only poured out as we walk in obedience to the Lord. What has God asked you to do? Has he asked you to take something precious to you and lay it on the altar? Until you do the first assignment, you may have in mind these great things you want to do for God. Oh, in the future, maybe I want to become a minister of the gospel or I want to be able to do this or that, whatever may be kind of in the future. Well, I want to tell you something. You'll never reach there until you simply obey what God's asked you now. Because if you can't obey a simple command, how are you going to handle the command of God when there's a whole lot resting on your decisions? So the truth is, is that God is looking for obedient people. And he saw what was in Saul's heart and he saw what was in David's heart. David was out caring for sheep. God said, there's a young man 
who will do whatever I ask him to do. When he looks at your heart, can God honestly say, there's a man, there's a woman who will do whatever I ask them to do. And when he finds a person who will do that, the scripture says that promotion comes neither from the east or from the west, but from the Lord himself. God will raise you up and he will put you in positions of leadership you could never obtain by even trying to get there. When David became the leader of Israel, he wasn't looking for the job. He was out. He wasn't even in the same room when the prophet was there. God will come find you when you're obeying him. So maybe you're working at a job that you're like, oh, I'm not sure about this job. Just trying to make ends meet, get the money. I want to tell you something. God did not put you on this earth just to make money to survive. God puts you here with a purpose. And we need to hear the voice of God. The more we hear the voice of God, the more we'll begin doing what he's asked us to do, and God's provision will always follow our obedience to him. So this morning, my prayer is that God will awaken our ears to hear what he's asking of us. And then he'll give us courage to obey. I'm going to ask if the worship team could please come on down. And I want to... I want to ask you in the congregation here to just close yourself in with God, even though you're in this room with a lot of people. Pretend no one else is here except you and God. Maybe you're in this room and you would say, Pastor, I've never really experienced the transformation in my heart that I know God wants for me. And I want a change in my life. I want Jesus to be the center. I don't want money to be what drives me. I don't want fame. I don't want accomplishments. But I want to surrender my life and my heart to God. Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven. Our names could be written in the book of life and so that we could experience genuine life. The enemy has come to kill, st steal, kill, and destroy, but the Bible says Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. If you're in this room today and you'd say, Pastor, I want to make that choice to surrender my life to Jesus, to repent of my sins, to become a new person in Christ, then today can be the first day of being born for the second time where your spirit is born and you experience all the life that God has for you. If you would say, I want to make that decision, right where you are, would you just simply lift up your hand today? I want to pray with you and believe God for a transformation. God sees your hand, my brother. Is there anyone else in this room that needs to make that decision? This is your opportunity. Is there?
just past this part. One of the most critical times is during these times that names are written in the book of life. The angels celebrate in heaven. Bible says that with our heart we believe and with our mouth we confess and so as we pray together you who raised your hand as you believe God God's going to do a transformation this morning and so church family I just ask you to join with me as we as we pray this prayer because it's God who does the transforming work in our hearts and in our lives would you please join me dear Lord Jesus I acknowledge this morning that I need your forgiveness. Please come into my heart and wash me clean. Please make me a new person and write my name in the book of life. I choose from this day forward to honor you with my life. To be obedient to your word. And to allow your Holy Spirit to direct my steps. Thank you for forgiving me, God. And thank you for making me a new person. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. I give God thanks for the work of his Holy Spirit. Now, certain sermons lend to more shouting than others. But I want to tell you that to get to the shouting part, you've got to deal with the deep stuff. And before we leave this place, I want to give you an opportunity to come to the mountain like Abraham did and to lay it out before God. Say, God, these are the promises you've given me. You said I'd have all that I need, so I have this job. Lord, you said you'd provide for me what I need, so I have this house and these cars, and I have my wife, my husband, my children, I have all these things. And I thank you for them. I thank you for Isaac. You gave me Isaac and my wife was very old and it wasn't possible that she would have a child, but you gave me Isaac through my wife and I'm very grateful to you for that. But now you're asking for me to lay it all down and to even see the death of that promise before my eyes. But God, I trust you. I'm willing to lay my job down for you. I'm willing to lay my family down for you. I'm willing to lay my possessions, my house, my cars, everything down for you, oh God. 
I'm willing to obey you and whatever you want me to do with it it's all yours if this morning the Holy Spirit has been tugging at your heart saying you've got to lay that down you've got to surrender that area I'm asking you to bring your son your one and only son and lay him on the altar whatever that one and only son is for you to lay it on the altar I want to provide for you an opportunity to take a step of obedience today and it's a step of faith to say Lord I surrender these things that you have given me promises you fulfilled but I refuse to allow them to get in the way of obeying you I surrender it to you right now if that's you I invite you to stand to your feet and to come to these altars and to lay it before the Lord and say, God, I give it to you. I surrender to you my time. I surrender to you my work. I surrender to you all my possessions, the things that are so valuable to me. I'm willing to allow them to even be taken from my life if that is your will, just like Isaac. If the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to your heart, then would you come and lay it down 